sometimes uh, God, and I don't know if this happened to you, it's happened to me uh, several times in my life. Um, like if you were asking me, like, why, was I, why am I a Christian? I can give you a lot of reasons why. Uh, but there's that, that mystical side of the faith where God speaks so profoundly sometimes, you absolutely know he's there. You absolutely know. Uh, when I started this series uh, last year, uh, I told you, uh, and I, I need to explain this little story to you because I need to add something to it. I told, so I'm, I'm, I'm not repeating something that you've already heard. I know I'm telling you again for the second time. See you with me? Yeah, sometimes old people are like, he's telling the same story. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know I'm telling you the same story. Um, what story is that? Well, this is one of the most amazing things that has ever happened to me. And then what happened since then is equally jaw-dropping. Uh, I told you last year when I started this series that sometimes God's word, the prophetic word is so profound, you can't miss it. And sometimes God does this just in your own personal life. So um, a year ago at Christmas, Liz and I had been in California. Uh, and we were staying with a friend of ours um, uh, and uh, she loaned us her car uh, to go um, uh, see some friends up in uh, Lodi, California, which is about eight miles north of where we were, staying at her 900-acre estate. And so we uh, took off, and uh, we're heading up the freeway, and I, I had the car t tied in with my Apple phone, uh, and I have more rock tunes on my Apple phone than you can imagine. Uh, I like all kinds of rock. Um, it's just me. I'm just being honest. Uh, uh, I like oldies, et cetera. So I have hundreds and hundreds of songs on there. Uh, and uh, uh, do you remember the story? Actually, now, Yeah. Well, you're like me. You forgot what you did. Yeah. Okay. So, well, so like, so what happened was we're on the freeway. It's eight mile drive. And, and Liz and I are just listening to arbitrary songs coming up on the, on the, on the, on the car. And uh, my dad's song that he listened to as he battled brain cancer was Go Rest High on That Mountain by Vince Gill. You know the song? It's a tribute to his brother when his brother died. Uh, and I, I can see my dad in my head many times bent over his kitchen table at his computer listening to that song. Uh, and it's, it's an emotional thing for me even, even to talk about it. I mean, it's just, that was my dad's song. And that song came on when we were on the freeway out of hundreds of songs. I mean, it wasn't Foreigner. It wasn't Journey. It was, and I think that's the only, that's the only country song I've got because I don't like country. I'm sorry. I just don't like country, uh, but my dad loved country. So on came Vince Gill, go rest high on that mountain. And all of a sudden Liz and I got really quiet in the car and we're like, man, that's dad's song. Yeah. Well, that song played the whole time we drove north to Lodi. Then we approached the cemetery where my dad was buried and that song's playing. And as we got parallel with my dad's grave in the military section of the, on the, on, on I-99, we got parallel with my dad's grave in the military section because I could see it. That's when the song ended. Do you not tell me God does not speak? What did God said in that? What did he say? Did he say anything? Are you here? Yeah. Yeah, God told me, hey, Marty, your dad's fine. He's with me. He's with me. Because I've gone by that grave many times and looked at it, you know, and just, you know, who doesn't go pay respects? I've been there because I've buried many friends in that cemetery over 20 years. Um, but I've been there many times, so I knew exactly where his grave was. So anyway, fast forward to, yeah, now. So uh, a few months ago, Liz and I were, uh, you know, back during the, I don't know what it was, probably in the summer, we were in California again, um, stayed with our same friend, the cherry, cherry grower. She's the largest cherry grower in the world. So we went to one of her estates in Lake Tahoe to do a study, study break. And uh, so we went to her house to spend a couple of days with her had a car rental again. 
who doesn't connect the car window. I can't drive without tunes playing. Um, and car drives drives better, right? Uh, and so I hook my phone back up, not even thinking about the year before we get on the freeway. Um, we're going to meet some uh, friends of mine for Mexican food and uh, up in Lodi again. Uh, and we're going up the same freeway, uh, I-99. Um, and we're cruising along and well, you can imagine what happened. So, so what happened? It played again. Out of hundreds of songs, that song played. That song played. It wasn't Jethro Tull. It wasn't any of those groups. It was my only country song, Go Rest High on the Mountain. And it started playing again. And this time we had to exit near the grave to get to the Mexican restaurant. So as we exited and came up to the top of, of the hill to go back over the overpass to the Mexican restaurant, when the song finished playing, we were even with my dad's grave again. When we stopped at that stop sign, and this could be my whole sermon, basically. When we stopped at that stop sign, we had a moment in the car. Because I looked at Liz and I said, honey, you, you realize that God has just spoken two times. And his message is quite clear. What's the message? Your dad's fine. He's with me. I would say for that to occur statistically, I don't do statistics. I'm sure we have statisticians in our church, people who love mathematics. I don't, I didn't try to crunch the numbers, but I would say it's probably very improbable that that would happen two times as exact as it did. So who arranged that? Are you here? You can talk, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. God, God arranged that. So you ever pay attention to the things that God arranges in your life where he speaks and you're left sitting there in your car going, Whoa, he has spoken. He has spoken. First time he got my attention. Second time, second time, I'm just laughing. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then you feel the grace of God poured over you. That's, what I, that's how I summarize it. You just feel the grace of God poured over you that you just sense the grace. You know, when I think about that, when I think about Christmas and the gift of God and how God speaks, when I look at prophecy, how God speaks, God is like those Vince, these prophecies that God has given us. There's... 60 of them. So God doesn't just sing to you one time, give you evidence that he's there. He doesn't just give you two songs to really verify that he's there. He gives you 60 that they are so exact. There is no way that Christ could not be the long awaited Messiah. And knowing that your stockbroker can't pick stocks for the next week that are going to do anything, <laughs> right? And if he tells you that he can, he's lying. There's no way. The way these prophecies are so exact, hundreds and hundreds of years before the fact, Jesus fulfills every single one of them and he can't control them. And so when you get to 2 Samuel 7, it's one of those prophecies uh, where God gives David a promise, a uh, prophetic promise, and he's gonna pour his grace all over David. And this is how God rolls. I don't know how you think about God. He's not capricious. He's not angry. He's looking at you going as his child, I'm gonna just pour my grace all over you. And if you're not a Christian, He's going to pour his grace all over you to speak to you through these prophecies to tell you, you need to do something with this evidence. Because if Christ is who he said he was, it changes everything. So as we look at this passage, which we've studied before, but we need to look at it again from the perspective of the gracious communication of God. Contextually, what happened here? Uh, David's occupation was what? King. He was a king. He was a king. Uh, was he successful? Yes, on the battlefield, none better. He's the king of kings in Israel's history to study. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, but he had fought a lot of battles, killed a lot of people, started off with who? His first major battle was a Goliath. He, he 
took him out with, you know, one stone. Uh, so he has blood on his hands as it were as a warrior, right? And so he comes to God in this chapter, if you want to read it, and he tells God in, in, at this point in his life, I've been extremely successful as a, as a, as a warrior uh, for you, uh, defending your people, protecting them from evil, but I want to build you a house, God. You know, you dwell in this tattered old tent from the tabernacle. I want to build something glorious. Uh, and God's going to tell him, uh, no, that's not for you. That's not for you. I'm, I'm not going to let you do that. But he's going to tell him, ironically, because sometimes God does way beyond what you ask for. Sometimes you ask for God some little, small, little thing over here. And God's like, oh, you have no idea what I have planned for you. <laughs> and so I'm reading this this week and I'm like, hey, God is so good. David says, Can I, let me build you a house, God. And God's going to turn around and go, no, David, I'm going to build you a house. You hear me? He says, let me build you a house, God. And God says, well, I dwell in the heavens above. Let me build you a house. This is grace. This is like me getting those two songs back to back. This is God graciously speaking and doing something you didn't think about. So God's gonna make a, this prophetic promise to David to build him a house of a Davidic empire that will stretch beyond David's lifetime into eternity. That's amazing. Talk about grace. God could have said, I'm gonna give you a Davidic empire that will last the rest of your life and then that's it. No, God says, I'm gonna give you a forever empire. He's gonna gra graciously pour this all over him. Uh, in the first, uh, in verses 11 to 16, if we look at it, I, I've, I couch it this way. God's gracious prophetic promise is presented to David. What did David ask for? God, I wanna build you a, a house in, in Jerusalem. And God's like, no, I'll, your son's gonna do that. But I want to build you a house. I love you that much. I wanna shower my blessing on you. So notice how God begins this showering of the gracious blessing to David. Um, verse nine. He says, I, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all of your enemies before you. God says through the prophet Nathan. Nathan, the prophet, is speaking to David. He says, David, uh, God wants to give you a word. Here's the direct communication from God. God says, I have been with you in all of these military battles. So God tells him, you might have won all these battles against all of your enemies, but why did you win? By whose power? God's power. He says, you won because I empowered you to win. And you got to think about it. why is God empowering David to win? Let's go back and review last, last year's series, which I know you remember completely, correct? Okay. Um, in Genesis 3.15, God promises to send the seed, right? Yes. The seed will be the Messiah uh, and the devil's going to strike the, the Messiah on the, the heel, but the Messiah eventually is going to strike the devil on the head and take the devil out, right? That's the first prophecy. And we talked about that. And then you get to chapter 49 of Genesis, verses 8 to 12, and God says, well, the seed, he's going to come through the line of Judah, a specific tribe, the tribe of Judah. Uh, and he's going he's to have the scepter, and he's going to rule and reign when he comes. Uh, and then when you get up to this particular chapter, chapter 7, God says, well, he's not only going to come through the line of uh, the tribe of Judah, he's going to come through a line within the tribe of Judah, the line of David. God's narrowing down the coming of the Messiah with great specificity. So if you're looking for the Messiah, um, what tribe was he supposed to come from? Judah. Judah. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Uh, he's supposed to come from the line of David. Jesus is from the line of David. Except, see, all these things he can't control. We'll get into it in just a minute. So he's telling him, uh, I'm, I've given you victory. And then he says, I'm going to make your name great, like the names of the great men who were on the earth. So David's a humble man. In fact, if you were to look at David's name in Hebrew, it's three radicals, three consonants, no vowels. Uh, and the first letter reading from right to left uh, is a D, it's a Dalet. 
And then the middle letter is a, is a vav, and it's a broken letter. It's kind of shaped like that. And then the last consonantal letter is D, dalit. And the middle letter is, has a V sound, like a W in German has a V sound. No Germans? Uh, good. Okay. So that middle letter is a, is a broken letter. It's the only broken letter like that in Hebrew. And the rabbis say that it's broken for the middle of David's name because in the middle of his life, he was a humble, broken man. What greater, no wonder God loved him. He was a humble man. Was David all about making his name known in the world as the greatest warrior that ever hurt the planet? No. Did he want to be known as the greatest king? No. David said, you're just, you're a man after my heart. You're a humble man. And so he says, I tell you what, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. You asked me for a house, I'm going to give you a house. And he says, you didn't ask me for a great name. I'm going to make people remember your name. Now, I was supposed to go to Israel right after the, seven days after the attack. Uh, tragic. Uh, all that has transpired since then. Uh, but if you ever get to go with us to Israel again, because it's peaceful and we can return, we will show you David's name is everywhere. We will take you to his grave. Uh, and, and you will see where or they uh, propose he's buried, etc. I mean, he, he was their king. And God says, I'm going to make your name David. How many people here have David in your name? Be proud. <laughs> David, is it in your first name? How many have it in the middle name? Yes. How many wish they had the name David? Such a great name. Yeah. <laughs> David. It was my wife's uh, dad, her Jewish dad. His name was David. David uh, Solomon. Uh, before they... David Solomon. Wow. Yeah. And before they, when they immigrated, they shortened it to Sally, S-A-L-Y, to hide the fact they were Jews because they were ashamed and fearful. But David, Liz's dad was really David Solomon. Interesting. Anyway, go back to my sermon. That's kind of a rabbit trail. He made his name great. See, this is God pouring his grace on David. I'm going to give you what you didn't even ask for. And when you're thinking about when you're talking to God, I'm asking God for this. He's not going to probably give me this, but I really wish he would. And God's going, no, I'm going to give you this because he's gracious. Verse 10 says, I'm going to appoint a place for my people Israel, and I'm going to plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. I, I have one question. Has that ever happened? Not yet. Not yet. Is it happening now? Not yet. They're surrounded by enemies. They have, uh, well, they have Hamas on the south. They have Hezbollah on the north. They have uh, the Houthis, the Yemenis over on the, I don't know, way over uh, on, their, on their eastern flank. Uh, they, they got uh, enemies in the, in the West Bank. They got Iran to the, the northeast. They're surrounded by enemies who are, what's their goal? Take them out. Take them out. What did God say? That ain't happening. That's not happening. Why? Because God says to David, I'm going I'm to put your people in the land of Israel. So he just said, I'm not, you're not colonizing the land. Do you follow this? Who gave him the land? If the scriptures are from God himself, God says, I'm giving you that land. That's your land. And he gave it to David as promised. And he said, I'm going to give you that land and you're going to be in that land and I'm going to make it a land of peace one day and you won't have an enemy all around you. My, one of my Israeli guys, we're sitting up on the Golan Heights one day and the tour group's taking pictures and he looks at me and he goes, uh, he, and he's an army airborne uh, master sergeant. And he looks at me and he says, Marty, we Jewish people are a good people. We just live in a really rough neighborhood. And I'm like, uh, well, Asher, this is true. You know, it's true. But one day God says, I'm going to bring peace, peace. 
Uh, verse 11 gets into what we really want to talk about. This is kind of like the introduction to the sermon. Verse 11. Here's what he promises him. The Lord, through Nathan, says, the prophet says, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. See the irony? David says, I'll build you one. God says, I'll do you better. I'll make you a dynasty that will go into infinity. He says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, not your name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, because the kings were sinful, uh, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness... It's not going to depart from him as I took it away from Saul when I removed him uh, from before you. And your house and your kingdom, David, he says, shall endure for how long? Forever. Your throne shall be established for how long? Forever. We need to analyze this. Circle in your Bible every time God says, I will do this. I don't know about you, but if God says he's going to do something, no one is going to stop him not the United Nations, not the State Department. No one will stop God. He says, I'm gonna give you this kingdom. What is the world struggling for today? Peace, peace, unity. They don't have it. Why? Because the king's not here yet. And he has a twofold mission as we're gonna see. First to be the savior, then to be the king. So in this promise, he gives him uh, three things to think about. Number one, he says, David, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do you one way better than what you asked. I'm gonna give you a perpetual house uh, the word for house uh, stands for uh, a regal dynasty, his house, the Davidic house. Uh, so David says, I'm going to build you a house. God says, oh, I'm going to build you a Davidic dynasty that's going to go off the grid into foreverness. Uh, verse 16, he talks about this again. He says, uh, as he closes out the prophecy, he says, in your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Who's going to make it happen? Won't be David. God says, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It is based on the I will of God Almighty. So the world today is uh, bent on destroying Israel. I got news. It's not going to happen. Why not? Because God says, my will is on this. Those are my people. I will not forget them. I gave them an eternal covenant and I will fulfill it. If God doesn't fulfill it, then God's a liar. Then God's not God. But, but God's going to bring the king. This is why I have hope in the, in the day. King came first to be my savior. And he was rejected by his people, but he's coming back. And are you going to be with him when he comes back? He, he says, I'm going to give you, David, a, a great Davidic kingdom, a, a house. Then he says, I'm going to give you a great kingdom. Yeah, once more, this is interesting. He says in verse 12, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you. I will establish his kingdom. Verse 16. He says, and your house and your kingdom shall do him before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So God tells them, I'm going to give you a house, a dynasty, then I'm going to give you a kingdom. So when you think of a kingdom, you should be thinking of parameters because kingdoms have parameters, right? And so what are the parameters of this empire? Well, God tells you, if you go back and you read the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 15, verse eight, what does God say? God says to, uh, uh, when he makes a covenant with Abraham in verse eight, he says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your descendants, I will give this land. What land? Well, the land of Palestine. Uh, what are the parameters of that land? Okay, you can read it. What are the parameters of Palestine? From the river, From the river Egypt, which is what river? The Nile River. This is the geography lesson, okay? So from the Nile River 
as far as the great river. Oh, no, God, what river is that? The Euphrates. So he says, when your empire is in it, the forever state with a forever king over it, and you're not the forever king because you're just the man, you're gonna die and you're gonna have a son and he's gonna die. But when the forever king comes, by definition, it has to be, it has to be the Lord because only he's the only eternal one. He says, when he comes back, he's going to rule over a kingdom and the kingdom's parameters, well, they're worldwide, but the epicenter of their political rule is from where to where? Nile to the Euphrates. Here is the landmass that that covers in case you don't know the geography. Um, it covers uh, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, um, part of Egypt, Palestine, um, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Yemen. <laughs> what is that? Most of the Middle East. Have they ever possessed that? No, I mean, study history. They, they have never possessed that. And God says, you're gonna possess this forever. That will be the base of your empire. And if you go back and study Isaiah chapter two, the epicenter, the kingdom will be ruled from Jerusalem by Jesus himself. Says so, says so. So today what you are hearing, which is a lie from the devil himself, the, 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 the motto of Hamas is what? From the river to the sea, you know the other part? Palestine will be free. That is a lie. Number one is genocidal to even say it because you're saying eradicate the Jews from this, this landmass. So from the Jordan River to the sea, we want them to be removed and we want to be put in their place. I got news. What did God promise Abraham? No, you got, you got the rivers wrong. It's from the river Nile to the river Euphrates and that will be my people. Who are God's people? Israel. Israel, through whom the Messiah would come, through the tribe of Judah, the line of David, etc. So what you're hearing today, uh, purported in our country and around the world, is that which is a lie. It's a twisting of what God promised Abraham. Those who will bless Abraham will be blessed. Those who will curse him will be cursed because God's going to fulfill his kingdom promises to Israel. The next thing he tells him, the third thing, is a perpetual throne in, in verses 13 and following. He says, he will build a house for my name and I'll establish the, uh, the throne of his kingdom forever. I'm gonna be his father. He's gonna be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, what's God say? That's the end of the kingdom? No, I, I'll correct him. So do you have children? <laughs> Isn't it easy? No, no, no. As I said before, anybody in marital counseling that says we need to have a child to bring our marriage together, we need to talk, okay? Because it's gonna have a whole lot of challenges. So you probably can't get through the next week without your children going off the reservation, right? You probably, probably wanna get home in the car. You know, you say this and they're gonna say that, right? It's called sin and a strong will, right? So God's realistic and God says, yeah, I know how you, 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 you typically are. I, I'm gonna give you kings. Some are gonna be good ones. Some are not gonna be good ones. Uh, there were 21 kings uh, after David. Uh, you can go through and count them. I did. And they're in my notes if you want to read them. And you can go, because the scripture tells you, good king, bad king, tells you. <laughs> and all the kings in the Northern Empire, they were all bad. There was no good king. But in the Southern Empire, because they broke into a nation in 930 uh, BC under taxation, under Rehoboam. But when they formed the tribes of Judah, formed the kingdom down there, they had 21, 21 kings. Nine were good, the rest were bad. And even the nine that were good had issues, right? So God says, even if they sin, 
I will correct them. Because when your children sin, what are you supposed to do? Uh, Let's just reason with them. No, you have to correct them somehow to get their attention. So God says, I will correct them. So God's saying, I know they're going to sin. I will not abrogate the covenant based on their sin. I will deal with them. I will forgive them, but it won't remove the king and the kingdom coming. Now, God never promised that from David's point forward, there would always be a king on the Davidic throne. He never promised that. But he did say there is going to be a kingdom always behind the scenes, and it's going to eventually merge and be the kingdom over the earth. I'm going to bring that one. So right now, uh, Israel is in a state of discipline, correct? I mean, it's just what it is historically. They've lost, you know, much of what they had. Uh, and because of years of the idolatry and sin, et cetera, the Babylonian captivity and the Syrian captivity, et cetera. But God's looking at that going, but I haven't forgot you because I'm gracious and I'm disciplining you, but I'm going to bring the king. So that was the promise to bring a great Davidic empire. How's that fulfilled? I want to point out a couple of things because this is what Christmas is about. Four things. Number one, because Jesus is from what tribe? Judah. From what line? David. Well, how do we know that? Well, number one, Jesus is fulfilled when he came, when he was born, the regal requirements for the Davidic covenant, the regal requirements. What do I mean? He was from the line of David on both sides of his family. I've I've got a chart in my office and it traces all the lineage of the Davidic line from David's parent, from Christ's parents, Mary and Joseph. It traces it all the way back up to David. He was, so since he was virgin born, which is a whole other sermon series, even in and of itself, uh, uh, Joseph didn't have a part of this situation. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And <laughs> you, got you got that. Thank you. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a virgin birth. So the idemic line didn't impact Jesus because he's going to be the sinless one, but, he's, but he's, he's got his king rights from his father because he's from the line of, of David. And then he's really from the line of David because his mother comes from the line of David. Uh, through David's other son, Nathan, because David had more than one son. And so Jesus is really of the Davidic line through both his mom and his dad. Uh, what, what did it say? Well, when the, when the king comes, he must come from the line of David. Did Jesus come from the line of David? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in a major way. So when you sing the old song, what child is this? You know the song? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with voices sweet while shepherds watch are sleeping? What's the answer? Like, what child is this? This is who? Christ the who? King. What king? Oh, the Davidic king. He had all of the regal rights to be the king when he came. And number two, Jesus fulfilled the moral requirements of the Davidic covenant. Remember, God said, your kings are going to sin. When they sin, I will judge them but I will not forget my covenant with them. The implication is one who's coming who has no sin. So when you read through other prophecies like Isaiah 7, 14, where Isaiah prophesies uh, some 800 years before the birth of Christ that when he comes, he will be called Emmanuel, which we all know means God with us. Who was coming? Well, God, the God man was coming from tribe of Judah, from the line of David, and it will be the God man's coming. Why'd the God man have to come? Well, he's sinless. He, he can do what the Davidic kings could never do. Uh, when uh, you read the, uh, Matthew chapter one, here's what it tells us about his coming, verse 20. But when he, had descri- when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of who? David, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife. 
for which that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. And she shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, in Yahshua. In, his, in Hebrew, it means to be Savior. For, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who was coming? God. He, the perfect was. So by definition, God has no sin, correct? He has no sin. If there's any sin in Christ, he could not be God. But he's telling you, he has the moral requirements down because when he shows up, sin will not destroy this king. Next, Jesus fulfilled the eternal requirements of the Davidic covenant because all throughout it, God says, your kingdom will be forever. A forever kingdom speaks of a forever person. Who's the forever person? Jesus. He's the eternal one. Micah chapter five prophecy uh, about the, the coming of the Christ says, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, and they had to throw in Ephrathath because there were two Bethlehems in Israel. He wanted to make sure you understand which city the Messiah will be born in. Uh, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me, God says, to be the ruler in Israel. His goings, well, they're, they're from long ago. How long ago? From eternity. See, these are the strongest words in Hebrew to speak of eternality. Who's coming? Well, he's coming from the tribe of Judah. He's coming from the line of David. Jesus hit both of those. And who's, who is he? He's the eternal one. Who's that? That's God. That's God himself. When you look at Matthew chapter one, verse 23, it says, behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who's coming. Talk about a blessing. God, God tells David, you want to build me a house? I'll do you one better. I'll build you a, an eternal empire and I'm going to send my only son to be the king of it. He's going to be the king. Why do I have hope this Christmas? The king came first to be Jesus, right? Yeshua, savior of sinners. He's coming back to be the king. Do you know him? I got 30 more points. Stay with me. Did Jesus ever claim to be deity? Yeah, yeah. If you say he hasn't, you haven't read the New Testament. John 8, 58, he looked at the religious leaders who said, who are you? And he said to them, it's actually just ironic. He tells them, before Abraham was, I am. And if you read it in Greek, it's ego we me. Uh, it's the most powerful statement of I amness in Greek. And it is equivalent to the Hebrew anihu, I am, that God uses in the Old Testament to identify himself. Anyone who knew Greek or Hebrew knew exactly what he said, which is why they picked up stones to stone him. Why did they try to stone him? He's claiming divine status. What did the prophecy say? When the Messiah comes, he will be God with us. That's who he was. He claimed, yeah, I'm the eternal Davidic king. And then lastly, Jesus fulfilled the peace requirements of the Davidic covenant. Isaiah 9 prophesies for us, a child is going to be born. A son is going to be given to us, the nation of Israel and the world. The government, the Davidic government will rest upon his shoulders. What are his names? A wonderful counselor. No politician like him. My, who is he? Mighty God. He's eternal in his father nature. He's eternal. And then who is he? Well, he's the prince of peace. What does the world need today? Peace. Can you vote it in? Doesn't look like it, does it? Can't vote it in. Uh, you can try. 
But we know as Christians, the king's coming. But why did he come the first time? Well, to offer himself as a king to the, to the nation. What'd they do? They rejected the king. So what did he do? He offered himself to the world as the savior for sinners. And if you know him as, 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 a, as a child of God, if you've humbled yourself before Christ the king, he saves you and he makes you part of his spiritual empire. The exciting thing comes when he comes back. He brings the rest of the kingdom with him to establish it. There's no place in the entire New Testament, because I've read it, where it says that Jesus is now ruling on the throne of David. Not one. Why? It says he rules at the right hand of the Father. It does not say he rules on the Davidic throne. Why? Because he's not on the throne yet, but he's coming. He's coming. Are you going to be with him when he comes? Well, I plan on it. Are you excited about it? I, I am. And you should have great hope because the peace we lack today, well, it's, it's coming with Jesus. And it starts with a faith relationship with him. And, it, and it, 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 it culminates when the Lord comes back with the clouds and the glory of heaven to present himself as king of kings and deals with evil. Merry Christmas to you. And may you have a great day. I don't know what you're doing today, shopping or whatever. Think what the scriptures say about what Christmas is about. It's about the king. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for the clarity of, of Nathan's prophecy and that you didn't forget this old prophecy that through the halls of time, through the rise and fall of many nations and people, uh, you saw fit to have the king of kings born in that little, little stable. Um, and when Mary held that little baby's hand, she was holding the, the hand of God himself, uh, the Messiah, the king, the great Davidic king. What an awesome thing. Thank you for the salvation you've given to us through your death and resurrection. And because you are alive forevermore, we look forward for you to return and finish the business about the empire in Christ's name. Amen.